Hello and welcome to excerpts from Project ECHO, the Westvic PHN COVID-19 pandemic response series. My name is Bianca Forrester and I'm the GP facilitator for this series. In these audio files, you'll hear the didactic component of our Project ECHO session from Thursday the 9th of April, recorded at 7.30 in the morning. Project ECHO is a model of teaching and learning, of knowledge exchange between um, experts in content, those specialists in the tertiary sector or potentially in the primary care sector that are experts in their field of knowledge, met by experts in context, primary care professionals, GPs, nurses, practice managers, community, other community sector members who have an ex- interest in um, putting guidelines, policies, and best practice into practice in their area. So thanks for listening to these uh, excerpts from Thursday the 9th of April, part one of our Aged Care and Other Vulnerable Group series. Please join us on the Thursday the 16th of April for part two of the series where we'll be following up some of the discussions. Um, You can listen to the full webinar to get involved in the Q&A or just listen to these audio files for uh, 15 minutes of um, panel member expertise. Thanks, Glenn. And so we're further defining our topic, which is a focus on aged care and other vulnerable groups. And and as Glenn described, that vulnerability now, not just in regards to uh, COVID, but vulnerability due to some of the impacts of social isolation and some of the measures that we've needed to take, making our groups vulnerable. So um, the, that definition of vulnerability, we're starting to um, narrow down on in this conversation today. So thanks for orientating us to what is a quite a diverse sector in regards to needs and and target population. I'd now like to hand over to Lisa Mitchell, a doctor from Bowen Health, who's a geriatrician. And Lisa, if you could start by introducing yourself and take it away. Thanks, Bianca. And uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, as Bianca said, I'm a geriatrician in Geelong. And uh, I'm just going to briefly talk about the things that we can be doing now to look after people in aged care. And I pulled together some of the Victorian and federal guidelines about managing COVID and suspected COVID cases in aged care, which we'll have a quick run through as well. So uh, um, we can just uh, skip through to each of these things that are probably relevant and you're probably already doing. We can go to the next slide, Gemma. So um, obviously one of the really important things we can be doing is having advanced care planning or goals of care discussions with our patients. Um, This is probably something that you have your own sort of strategies for doing, but if you are looking for some extra guidance, there's the Harvard Serious Illness Conversation Guide, which can be a really helpful um, structure in which to frame your advanced care planning discussions with patients. So it just starts by checking in with the person about what their understanding of their illness or health is, and if the person can't uh, in the chenet with their medical treatment decision maker or family. Um, And then you just get their permission to talk about what might be coming ahead in the coming months. And you may frame it in terms of the, the COVID situation or it may be more general. And it can be really helpful to just tell the person that you're worried about them, uh, if you are worried about them. So it might be, Mary, um, I'm worried that with your chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and heart failure and the number of illnesses you've had in the last few months, that if you became unwell uh, in the near future, that you may not recover. 
it's important to explore what the person's priorities are um, and that can be looking at things that make their life enjoyable, what are their important goals if their health got worse and what we're really trying to tease out here, are there certain things for that person that if they couldn't do them, they wouldn't really want to be here anymore? Um, and then to, to sort of bring that all together by making recommendations. Then the next important thing is vaccination. So you're probably aware that all workers uh, like us that go into aged care facilities and visitors attending aged care facilities will have to have had the flu vaccination if they want to enter after the 1st of May. And ideally, every residential aged care resident will be vaccinated for the flu this year as, as soon as possible. And maybe in the Q&A, if anyone has some streamlined processes that they use for doing that, um, that they can share. Uh, there's also other vaccinations that your patients might be eligible for, like the pneumococcal and varicella vaccinations. Uh, Optimising health and trying to prevent avoidable illnesses in the coming months is very helpful and obviously one of the easiest targets in older people in aged care is polypharmacy and checking if they're on any unnecessary medications. You can think about, are they due for anything in the coming months? Are they due for their um, genosumab injection? Uh, can you write it on the chat now so they're not going to miss it when it's due? And thinking about, do they have like a cardiologist appointment or a surveillance CT scan coming up? Is it something that can be brought forward or is it something that can wait um, many months until after the pandemic's over? And maybe just another thing to point out is that we're still quite early in the pandemic phase. We're not in a crisis uh, situation at the moment. So if you do have someone that is unwell and they're in a situation you would ordinarily send them to the hospital for, the hospital... Um, well, the hospital and health services aren't overwhelmed at the moment. Um, and if it's someone that you would usually send, it's probably very reasonable to still send them. Uh, and a helpful tool is also the Vital Talk um, COVID Ready Communication Playbook. Um, you can access this through the, uh, their website, but it just deals with lots of situations relative, relevant to COVID that patients might ask questions about. And it has some very nice phrases and um, uh, suggested statements that you can make that can help to reassure people um, or make them feel more comfortable about what you're discussing. They've also got tips for discussing uh, people who are really, really sick and people who might die and how to talk about um, death after it's happened. So then if you've got someone who you suspect of having COVID-19 in an aged care facility, um, the testing criteria keep changing, but as of Tuesday, the relevant criteria were that if someone in an aged care facility who either has a fever or an acute respiratory infection, then they are currently eligible for testing. Um, there are both, I can go to the next slide, Gemma. Um, there are a number of state and federal government documents, but the main messages from these are that any suspected case of COVID in an aged care facility is of importance to the Victorian Public Health Unit and you can speak to them on their telephone number. If you have a confirmed case, the Victorian Department of Health needs to be notified, but there's also a federal um, email address that you need to, that needs to be emailed as well. Obviously, we want to minimise outbreaks in facilities, so it's a really a key priority. Uh, there's also a special way in which PPE can be provided to aged care facilities, and there's a special email address that the facility can email, particularly if they have a COVID case and they'll supply masks to that facility. 
We can just um, we can just really skip through these slides, um, Gemma. Uh, there's an aged care quality document that just came out this week that has the steps for preparation, um, management of a suspected case, um, what to do if you suspect someone has, and how to manage an outbreak. Um, we can go to the next slide. Um, that's also contained within the Victorian um, uh, documents as well. We can go to the next slide, Gemma. But the main, uh, really the main emphasis from these, if, if you do have a suspected case, that person should be isolated in the facility, that droplet and contact precautions should be used when caring for them. They need to be tested for COVID. The department you know, and is going to check or not their care can be managed in the facility and decisions to transfer the person would obviously be based on uh, a clinical need. So if they needed respiratory support that can't be provided in the facility or if there's an infection control need, and hopefully that won't be the case, but that's just identifying that if uh, a person was in a facility that had really no capacity to manage the infection control issues, they should be transferred. And I won't read through all this. This is in the um, also in that VIC plan for the aged care sector, but it really... Uh, just as uh, those principles that I've mentioned. We can go to the next slide. There is some living guidelines that are available for actually managing people with COVID. Um, these are being updated very, very frequently. Um, and uh, we can go to the next slide, Gemma. They just kind of indicate what counts as um, how to assess the severity of the disease. And there's lots of pages in there about how to actually manage and um, provide uh, medical support to the person. Um, obviously, we know that there'll be some tricky situations like managing someone with an agitated delirium or BPSD who either has COVID or is in a COVID facility. Um, the uh, British Geriatric Society uh, and the British Alzheimer's Association actually have um, produced some uh, materials that are helpful in that. Um, and maybe Deb uh, Friedman will touch on uh, the situation, what to do if a swab is negative but you're still suspicious that a person has COVID. Um, who can help? Uh, if you're lucky enough to be in a place that has a local inreach service, most are increasing their hours and their capacity. Barwon Health Inreach Program uh, is actually assisting with uh, the nasopharyngeal swabs for patients with suspected COVID. And uh, for those in Geelong, the Ballerine and the Surf Coast, there's a phone number that you can call um, to get help with that. The Department of Public Health uh, are interested if you've got a suspected um, COVID case. Um, uh, your local hospital admitting officer infectious diseases team. And I know that some of you out there, you are actually uh, <laughs> your local hospital um, doctor as well. So that may not be as useful to you. And for patients who have um, dementia with behavioural issues, remember that Dementia Support Australia is a really great resource. They can be contacted 24 hours a day to provide advice about non-pharmacological as well as pharmacological management. Okay, thank you, Lisa. And um, that fantastic um, overview and a wealth of resources. We've had uh, people asking about um, accessing your slides in the chat. And of course, um, we will provide slides, a lot of relevant documents that, um, that are no doubt, um, you know, a gold mine of um, information that Lisa's provided. And we'll be describing at the end how you can access some of that information. So now we will um, move uh, straight along to Deb. Um, so I'd like to introduce uh, Associate Professor Deb Friedman. Um, Deb, if you could just introduce, start by introducing yourself and your role and um, take it away. Sure. Thanks, Bianca. Um, my name's Deb Friedman. I'm an infectious diseases physician at Barwon Health. Um, my role in terms of a pandemic is that I'm working in the 
with the infection prevention team and working with the PHN to look at um, what, can, what we can do to assist in the general practice sector. Um, I've, I'm going to talk a little bit generally, give a little bit of an overview about where we're at in the pandemic and then discuss specifically how this relates to aged care. Um, in terms of the pandemic as a whole, there's about 6,000 cases countrywide, which I think everybody's aware of, and in total there have been um, 50 fatalities in Australia. If we look um, within Victoria, our number of cases is about 1,200. The important thing that I wanted to mention about the number of cases is that when the Department of Health looks at the epidemiology of these cases, they've been able to define that 90% of them have been related to travel overseas or contact with a confirmed case of coronavirus. That does leave, however, 9 to 10% where they're calling them unknown source. What we believe that means is that these reflect community transmission in people that never had contact with a confirmed case or, or to their knowledge, did not have any contact with a confirmed case. What this indicates is that more than last month, we're seeing increasing community transmission. And that's the thing that everybody needs to be aware of. If we look overall at our sort of region and the rest of Western Victoria, we, we have the lion's share in Greater Geelong, which is 57 cases, 10 in Ballarat, and a small smattering of five in Warrnambool, one in Karangamite, one in Golden Plains. So just a three in Horsham, but a small number elsewhere. Um, I wanted to quickly touch on the doubling time of the infection. So we look at how long it takes to get double the number of cases that you have on a particular day. So the calculation that I've performed last night is based on the figures from the 26th of March when we had half the number of cases that we have now. The number of days from the 26th of March to at least yesterday was 13 days. That means that we've got a doubling time of 13 days which um, is actually which is actually a positive thing. However, that doesn't mean that it's supposed to change any restrictions that we have in place, but it means that the doubling time would be quite acceptable from, from our point of view in terms of a pandemic, but it doesn't change anything in terms of restrictions and recommendations around social distancing. Um, I wanted to... Um, talk about coronavirus in the elderly very generally. Everybody's aware that it's a very dangerous infection in the elderly with increased mortality. Probably the reasons behind this are many, but it talks about the fragility of the immune system as people get older. They probably have less T cells and they have their T cells, the T cells that they do have are very slow to react to new pathogens. In the elderly, it's known that underlying comorbidities place them at increased risk of negative outcomes, and I believe you've all heard that anyway. If we look at people in their 50s, about 1% of people die from coronavirus, and it increases every decade, but the greatest increase is above the age of 70. What we see above the age of 70 years is that up to 9% of 
people who contract this infection die. Above the age of 80, it's above 13%. This was best illustrated in an elderly population in Italy in which 25% of the population is over 65 years and they saw a mortality that was very, very high in that country. Of course, at this time, we've also have to reflect on non-coronavirus infections in the elderly as well, which are going to continue to occur. The most important ones to consider are influenza as we move into flu season, but also other respiratory tract infections such as community-acquired pneumonia, or in the case of people living in residential aged care, it's more like a hospital-acquired pneumonia. And then Elderly patients are always at risk of bloodstream infections, often secondary to urosepsis. The pandemic places elderly and vulnerable populations at increased risk of not having access to the usual care that they would have for ordinary investigations that you would normally do when a patient was febrile or unwell. So I think we, the main message from me, in addition to what Lisa Mitchell said, is obviously vaccination, flu vaccination, pneumococcal vaccination, but also being sure that you are considering other non-COVID-related illnesses in a patient who becomes unwell. Lisa's already touched on the use of PPE in aged care, um, and she also touched on the fact that at least locally we have an in-reach service which has been developed in aged care to arrange for testing and I guess just to mention at least locally, those swabs are prioritised with a short turnaround time because the laboratory here is doing three runs a day. So within the day, there would be results, certainly for Greater Geelong. Um, there is some work going on currently with our Director of Aged Care, Rob Mallon, working I understand, with GPs in the region to discuss a medical assessment model for aged care facilities, but that work is not yet complete. Um, in terms of testing, there are some concerns about what do we do if a test is negative and also how do we increase the yield of our testing to start with. So on the first of those two points, if a swab is negative, the question about repeating the swab is very much dependent on the level of suspicion that this, in fact, is coronavirus. Retesting is obviously always an option, but I think one of the first things to do is to ensure that we've excluded other causes for the illness that the patient has. The infectious diseases team at any of your local hospital, and certainly at Bowen Health, we're very receptive to being contacted by GPs. Um, we also... Um, are happy to certainly, for in the in-reach sector, we're certainly happy to facilitate medical assessment if that was helpful um, for GPs dealing with um, vulnerable patients. In terms of how we increase the yield of a swab, I think the first thing to say is that there's a small amount of operator dependency. So ensuring that the person who performs the swab is sampling the right area and that they're sampling it for long enough on the mucosal surface. The best yield swab is going to be one that has mucus on it. So collecting as much mucus as possible from the nasopharynx and the throat is going to increase the yield. However, what we know about this infection, and this is probably more a function of the infection itself rather than the person who takes the swab or in fact the PCR test itself. What we know is that not everybody has a 
a detectable amount of virus in the upper airway and that the lower respiratory tract tends to have more detectable virus, but this is obviously very hard to sample. The message is that if patients are producing sputum, this is a very sensitive way of detecting coronavirus and is going to increase the yield of any testing. Um, I know that a lot of people have heard about rapid testing, especially via finger prick testing. Um, I just wanted to um, mention that these are serological tests that detect antibody. Um, so they're looking for IgM and IgG. Because of that, they provide a retrospective diagnosis and patients don't normally produce an IgM response until about seven days into an illness. So they're not useful for acute diagnostics. They are, however, important as a retrospective diagnosis, perhaps later down the track, and potentially um, they might have a use in epidemiological serosurveys of an entire population. There's been a test that was described um, in the media about a B cell response test out of Monash University. And I just wanted to highlight that this is very much a research tool. It's not a diagnostic test. And um, the value of it is supposed to be to determine whether or not somebody has immunity to COVID-19, but it's very much in the development phase and it's um, therefore a research tool. Um, I guess um, that was the majority of what I wanted to say um, and I'm very happy to discuss in the Q&A time whether or not there are things from places outside of Greater Geelong that we can better assist with to improve access to both testing and improve turnaround times. Um, thanks, Monica. Thank you. Thank you very much, Deb. Okay, great. So thank you to our panellists and now I'd like to welcome our um, experts in context, the people, um, our GPs and nurses and um, people in practice who are now working um, very much uh, on the front line of this uh, pandemic. Um, I'd like to start um, with perhaps a, a reflective question. I'd like to invite Anne Stevenson, who, um, thanks Anne, pre-submitted a question. Um, so if you could take yourself off mute and um, put your question, I guess, to our broader group. Um, and I think it's also to Lisa Mitchell. Thanks, Anne. Thanks for listening and please join us on the 16th uh, of April, 7.30. You can register for Project Echo Series. We'll be running them through April and um, for as long as a response demands. Um, and please do submit a question to our expert panel this week, Deborah Freeman and Lisa Mitchell again. And uh, next week we'll be looking at emerging models of care to continue um, care as usual for chronic diseases, mental health and complex conditions in the context of um, social distancing and isolation. Please, um, please join us.